Welcome everyone to this uh, 12th and final session in the uh, uh, database and ontology mini-series. Um, uh, today we have um, uh, Dr. Holger Nablok. I, I hope that's pronounced about right. Can you correct me on that, Holger? Uh, don't, don't worry. I mean, it's, okay. um, the, the name is in German pronounced Knoblauch. But I, I know a lot of people have trouble with that, so just call me Well, it's useful to start off right, even if, even if you then uh, continue to get it wrong. Um, and my name is Matthew West, um, and I've been uh, uh, co-chairing um, and sponsoring this, this session in terms of finding people to talk and that sort of thing. Um, now, we've got the agenda up now, so that's slide two in my deck. Um, and uh, the, the agenda for the whole evening is, uh, well, we aren't going to go around and introduce ourselves because there's too many of us. Um, I will introduce uh, Holger in just a moment, and he'll give his presentation. Um, and then there will be uh, a question and answer session after that. And at the end, uh, I'll spend just a few minutes reflecting on the series as a whole. So next slide, slide three. So today's talk, uh, uh, Holger is uh, the Vice President of Product Development at Top Quadrant um, and uh, the lead developer of the Top Raid product family. Um, he's well known in the semantic web community for his former role as the designer and developer of the original Protégé OWL plugin. Um, and he did his PhD in computer science in the University of Ulm in Germany. Um, and the title of his talk is Information Integration Intelligence with Semantic Technology. Now, uh, the, uh, the nature of this talk, like some others that we've had, um, is relatively commercial. And in this series, we have made a variation to our usual open RPR policy, um, inviting people with commercial products to join us so that the community can get exposure to the full range of ideas, research and results and tools that are out there. Um, so this talk, like a few of uh, previous ones, represents R&D efforts in that category. Holger, over to you, and uh, over to his slides, please. Thank you very much, Matthew, and uh, thanks for, for having me here and uh, giving me the opportunity to, to present, actually. Um, yeah, Matthew, you're right. The, um, my background is now in a, in a commercial company, um, no longer an open source tool. At the same time, I, I believe that uh, many of the ideas that I'm going to present are uh, really independent from the specific tool. I'm uh, going to show um, most of uh, the slides actually will be about a particular implementation uh, in, in our product family, but uh, ideas like XML importing and database importing and so on will be hopefully interesting to, to everyone, also those people who are not interested in acquiring the tools. Um, so I'm... Um, switching to uh, uh, slide two, actually, uh, this has already been said, uh, not myself, uh, just to get a picture of me, perhaps. So uh, I, um, I, I see myself still as a, as a software developer primarily, and the style that, that I'm presenting is typically uh, also very tool-driven. I'm, I'm, I'm not really an academic. I've never been, um, despite being in, at, at Stanford in my former life. Uh, so 
as Matthew said, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm uh, now at Top Quadrant, and um, Top Quadrant uh, is presented on the next slide, actually on slide three. Uh, Top Quadrant uh, was founded, uh, I think, in 2001 uh, as one of the first uh, consulting companies in the U.S. Uh, focusing on semantic technology. And uh, this is, of course, still our focus. We are W3C member, and we are uh, strongly supporting uh, the W3C standard languages like RDF, OWL, and Sparkle. Um, and the company has initially started as a, and as a pure solution and uh, services company. Um, we uh, added training uh, in the first few years, and we're still giving uh, training classes, so we are going to customers and uh, educate them about uh, the technology, and uh, we are using our tools increasingly for that as well. Um, and um, especially since I joined the company two years ago, we also uh, started um, becoming a, a product company. And um, the top-rate family of product is uh, our main uh, tool right now. And um, we are, uh, as a company, we are uh, moving more and more to, to becoming a product company. Um, because we believe that there is still a, a shortage in bringing semantic technology really to the market with uh, commercial strength tools. Um, as shown on, on, the, on the screen, uh, we have two offices, um, basically uh, one in Alexandria in the Washington, D.C. area, and uh, the development office in Mountain View uh, in California, so this is where I'm also located. We have recently, or actually a year ago, I think, we've also uh, spun off a... Uh, an office in, in Korea, so we are collaborating with a couple <coughs> of people uh, in Asia. Um, let me very quickly uh, give an overview about our product family just on one slide, number four. Uh, this is um, a diagram showing the uh, different parts of our product family, uh, and I'm going to, to talk about uh, them all a little bit during this talk, but uh, as I said, I'm mostly focusing on generic things. Um, but uh, our tool family um, tries to cover the whole development life cycle of semantic applications, starting from uh, a, design cool that we, a design tool that we have called Top Rate Composer, uh, which can be used for ontology editing, but uh, even more importantly, perhaps for can be used to, to import data from many different data sources, including databases, etc. Um, and uh, then it can be used to, to uh, bring these data sources together and to create um, interesting applications out of it. And in order to implement those applications, we have uh, uh, well, we are offering the TopRate Live platform, which is a server-side product, which is um, essentially exposing ontologies uh, built with TopRate Composer um, to, to web clients. So it's a server-side tool which comes with, with a library of reusable user interface components. And then we have Toprate Ensemble, which is, uh, um, which is built on top, on, on top of Toprate Live, which is a um, multi-user um, browsing and editing environment for uh, ontological contents. All right. In this talk, I'm, uh, and now I'm on slide five, um, I'm focusing on uh, one uh, particular aspect of our tool family and, and of the application of semantic technology in general to what we call information integration intelligence. And this is actually motivated by um, quite a number of uh, customer projects that we have um, which deal with uh, bringing together uh, heterogeneous data from, from various sources and from various schemas and typically um, 
data that is used in, in the real scenarios lives somewhere in databases or in spreadsheets or in XML files. And these are the, these three are probably the most uh, important ones to cover. And that's actually also the focus of my talk on how to how to lift up those data sources into the semantic web space and then to bring them together with with the uh, the pure RDF formats that are already out there, like news feeds or Griddle and RDFA and um, Sparkle endpoints, etc. So, so this whole uh, data integration uh, problem is the focus of my talk. Um, the business problem that we are solving is um, essentially um, bringing together these data sources to get uh, a uniform view in order to support business intelligence. On slide number six, I'm enumerating a couple of arguments that, that we often use uh, to explain to our customers why we believe that semantic technology is particularly attractive for this um, information integration uh, scenario. Um, one of the reasons is that um, our RDF, RDF schema and, and OWL are quite a natural way of, of modeling reality. So, uh, because you can, as, as we all know, we can use it to model classes, properties, and uh, and individuals, and, and just add things as we go and as we learn. Uh, on, on how to represent things best, uh, these things are more difficult to to model in, uh, say, XML or databases. Uh, one of the biggest strengths of, of semantic technology that, that, that I see is uh, that it, the languages have been designed from the ground up to be open and to live in an open architecture. So everything, you know, has a URI uh, that, so that you can point to, to, to resources that someone else has already defined. You can reuse them. And also the, the very low-level architecture of, of this whole semantic web stack with, uh, with triples at the bottom um, makes, makes it very uh, easy and, and open to, to handle uh, because in, in, in the end everything is a triple and the triple can be a relationship or it can be a primitive value. And um, this allows to create quite complex models out of uh, existing triples that, that are out there. Um, RDF and OWL are also uh, designed for linking uh, data, and uh, there is, uh, in OWL at least, there is uh, the, the OWL same as and different from and, and similar concepts uh, that have been uh, made part of the, the core language even in order to support, um, you know, making concepts identical and declaring equivalence. Uh, it's also uh, very... Uh, uh, or part of the openness of, of semantic web uh, technology is that uh, it allows for schema reuse. Um, so you could uh, define uh, a schema by reusing existing classes and just add your own subclasses or, or make your classes equivalent to someone else's classes. So, so this uh, means uh, any model that has ever been published on the semantic web is potentially reusable. And that's, of course, in the, in, from the standpoint of data integration, a very attractive scenario. Uh, this is much more difficult if you have databases or XML, where essentially uh, the models have been designed for a closed world and not meant to be reused necessarily. Uh, additional adva advantages, and uh, in this community is probably I don't pro I don't have to enumerate all those things perhaps, but uh, uh, the advantage that we we give to our customers sometimes is that OWL can be used to really attach the semantics directly to the class definitions um, and um, Description logic can be used for that or any other uh, formal uh, way of specifications like rules or Sparkle can be used for that. Um, 
And these descriptions or these self-descriptions can, can then be used uh, to drive uh, tools such as uh, the one that I'm going to present because uh, generic tools can essentially analyze the structure that they find and then operate on, on whatever class definitions and instance definitions are, are out there. All right, and then finally, and uh, I guess a week ago, Sparkle has uh, been promoted to become a standard recommendation, so that's now uh, a good sign for the community that we now have a, defect, uh, have, a, have a real standard language for querying. And the nice thing about Sparkle is that you can really run queries that, that cross multiple schemas, that even cross uh, the boundaries of physical uh, storage. Uh, so, so that's, uh, in my opinion, much more powerful than, than SQL or related languages have ever been. I'm um, on the next four slides, so now I'm on slide seven. I'm, I'm going to talk uh, a little bit about uh, some projects that we have been involved in and that we are working on with our customers in order to, to explain typical uh, scenarios uh, that we find in industry. Um, the first one is from uh, a major uh, American uh, retailer uh, that is, uh, you know, almost every city has uh, a branch of, of this. Uh, uh, retailer where you can buy everything ranging from housewares to uh, lawn and garden and everything that fits into your house. And uh, the, the task that uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, development team there had was they wanted to create a system that allows end users to, to manage whatever they have purchased in the past so that they can uh, keep, keep track of, uh, you know, uh, when do my licenses expire or my, my warranties expire. Uh, where's my proof of purchase and where, how does it fit into my house and what is the size and dimension, etc., so that they can keep track of that. Um, and one of the reasons why they chose semantic technology is that uh, they have hundreds of product lines and new products are added every day. Um, it's, these things are, are pretty difficult to do with uh, uh, closed-world systems like, like databases, um, they wanted something open that also scales where they can more easily add new things uh, as they go along. Um, and on slide number eight, uh, I'm um, talking about another product or another uh, uh, project that came up or that is about to, to come up uh, uh, with a customer in, in Europe, uh, a large uh, consumer electronics company. Uh, Similar to, to the first scenario, this, uh, this company is, is managing uh, a very large product catalog with all those uh, product categories, you know, game boxes and, and uh, televisions, and they want to keep track of which devices are compatible to what and, and uh, other um, mathematical things about them like uh, dimensions and they want to know also what, what are upselling and uh, what are cross-selling opportunities for them. If, if, if a customer buys a television, he probably also wants a DVD recorder, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, in these cases, uh, it's uh, semantic technology is also a quite natural choice um, because uh, it, it allows you to link things more easily together than with, uh, say, databases. In uh, slide number nine, I'm. Um, mentioning a project that we are doing in conjunction with CTG. Um, the idea here is that uh, this is a healthcare provider or um, a service for healthcare providers. Um, and the problem scenario here is that uh, data is present, like uh, test results and available drugs and insurance information, availability of clinics. All this data is some, somewhere available in, in, in their, their own data spaces. 
but it's it's separated. It's it's not not unified, and there is no unified way to access um, all those uh, data sources. And so we are collaborating with them to to build a unified model so that, for example, queries can be run across all those data uh, data sources. Um, and probably our largest project right now, and the next slide is uh, for uh, NASA, so for the space agency here. In, um, and we are collaborating um, with uh, the NASA Constellation Project, um, which is actually the missions, the next missions to Moon and Mars, um, uh, to to build um, models that allow them to to link all their different disciplines, like hydraulics, electronics, mechanics, avionics, aerodynamics. Um, so we are helping them to build ontologies uh, uh, as, as part of this project. And these ontologies, you know, have things like uh, units in them and, and then all these different aspects of a space mission, the parts of a space shuttle, etc. All this information is currently splattered uh, across the, um, so many different files and, and databases. Uh, it's very difficult to keep track of uh, where something came from. Um, and also for, for an agency like NASA, it's very important to have uh, uh, what my colleague uh, Dean Allemang sometimes called uh, the data long longevity. So uh, the notion is um, these projects uh, take 30 years or more uh, in, with all its planning, and you want to keep track of where, where, where it came from and where, where, where it's going. And uh, by having uh, semantic te technology you know, with URIs and um, uh, an open architecture, helps you to keep track and then link all those things together even uh, on the very long term. So now I'm uh, on slide 11 and I'm um, actually beginning the, the main part of my talk, um, which is um, about uh, the typical scenarios that we uh, encounter for data integration uh, solutions. And uh, I'm splitting uh, data integration here in, in three phases. Um, in the first phase uh, that I call import, uh, you get started with something like spreadsheets, databases, XML files, with some legacy files or even some other triples that you already have. You want to bring them together, and then you want to process them. You may want to edit uh, an ontology around it, for example. You may want to query, or you want to uh, transform and, and run some mappings uh, over the data. And finally, you want to get some new information out of what you have Im integrated, and uh, for that, you may want to convert data from one format to another. You may want to browse it. You may want to show it to your, your end users. You want to visualize it. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to, to talk about um, all these uh, three boxes with a focus on, on importing, and, and here also on database importing in particular. Uh, and then at the end of my talk, I'm, I'm uh, going to, to show how, how all these pieces can be put together um, in, uh, in a scripting language that we are calling Sparkle Motion. Um, which essentially allows you to create uh, reusable scripts that run through all those steps um, automatically so that whenever you have to repeat something like importing a database and then doing some processing and then creating, for example, a visualization out of it, uh, you can define those scripts with, uh, with Sparkle Motion. All right, so I'm um, now on the next couple of slides, and I'm on slides 12, uh, I'm going to show quite a number of screenshots uh, because I prefer talking about real things instead of uh, just text. So I'm, I'm, I'm showing screenshots actually uh, from our, our product suite. Um, the first one is, is showing uh, uh, the range of, of data importing capabilities that we currently support in Topray Composer. 
uh, and you can see on the list, I, I don't want to go through, through it all now, but it, it, it's, it's quite a large number of import capabilities, and uh, the central theme about all of them is that uh, the output is, is triples, so you can uh, get, get your triples from the web, say from a Griddle or an RDFA source or an RSS feed, or you may want to get your triples from your literacy files like databases and uh, spreadsheets uh, uh, and so on. And I'm uh, going to focus on, on spreadsheets, databases, and XML uh, now in, in the next couple of, of uh, slides. So I'm on slide number 13. Um, I'm starting with spreadsheets because these are probably the, the, the simplest one to, uh, to grasp. Um, in our practice, we find that really a lot of useful data is, is in spreadsheet, and it's, it's uh, surprising or sometimes even scary how much uh, relevant data is, is, is still captured in spreadsheets. Um, it's probably that tools like Excel are, are so familiar to use and they are so easy to use that people are still using them, but at the same time, uh, the data, once it has been entered into a spreadsheet, is uh, probably locked uh, from further processing in a sense because it's it's still just a spreadsheet style. It doesn't have any formal description about it. Um, how can you actually extract data out, out of them? How can you lift this up and do something else with it to um, merge it with other data sources? Um, for top rate, we, we, we found the need to, to come up with two different solutions, actually, for, for importing uh, spreadsheets, uh, because we find in, in many cases that um, Excel spreadsheets in particular um, uh, can become quite complicated. They're not just tables. Uh, they're actually applications on their own. Um, so we need one solution for that, and the other solution uh, is for just plain text files that are just, you know, tabs delimited files or something like that. You just have a plain table. Uh, this is a, a different use case. So I'm, I'm starting with a, with a case of Excel imports on the next slide, and I'm actually uh, showing a small example Excel screenshot on the bottom, and this is a part of a spreadsheet that we have been uh, provided with uh, by our um, space agency customers. And this is how, how they actually work, um, um, or part of their work. Um, so they are passing around uh, Excel spreadsheets and uh, uh, have uh, specific templates where they fill in data. Um, I'm not sure what, where this is, uh, what, what this particular example shows, but, but you can see from the structure that uh, there are in input fields, and then there are, there are units next to it, and there's a description. So it's a kind of a form that they are essentially creating with Excel. And as you know, with Excel and most of the Microsoft products, you can define your own uh, scripts that then do further processing or that, that do something like calculations. Um, and uh, this is how they essentially uh, develop applications, um, small prototypical applications, but still, the data uh, wants to wants to get out of it, and you may want to use the same data in some other application. And in order to to get this data, like for example the 21.1 degrees Celsius that is somewhere in the middle of uh, uh, its row number 47 on on, the, on this particular spreadsheet, uh, how can you get exactly this value, and how can you find out that it uh, has uh, degrees Celsius as its unit? So uh, it, this import mechanism needs to preserve this information somehow, um, and uh, it especially requires uh, to keep track of the cell positions in the importing, so that once you have converted this to triples, uh, that you can still uh, figure out where, you, where the triple has come from, where this information has come from. Our solution to that has been, uh, is on, described on the next slide, on 15, 
um, we have designed a small spreadsheet ontology, and this is essentially uh, a syntactical um, uh, representation of, of, the, of a spreadsheet syntax. So you, you, you see things like cells and, and sheets and workbooks. So this is essentially the, the meta structure that Excel provides us with. And um, in the mm -hmm. upper part of, of the, the screen, you see a class diagram uh, taken with Composer uh, that uh, shows the attributes that cells have. You know, and there is uh, number, the, the, the column number and the row number and uh, some other attributes and, and the content especially. And uh, in the lower part of the screen, you see an instance, an example instance that has uh, been created after the import. Uh, and it's, it's showing one particular cell and the value of it. So you see it's column number 8 and row number 168. And then you see the string that is contained in it. And uh, you can imagine by, uh, then you can, once you have it in, in this format, now it's, now it's in RDF actually, you can then run, run Sparkle queries or similar things. Uh, such as uh, give me the unit that is uh, on one column of the right to it, for example. Uh, and this uh, simplifies importing those uh, uh, spreadsheets quite a bit. Okay, uh, talking about, uh, on slide 16, talking about the, the more simple case now, if you just have a tab-separated text file, um, the obvious uh, importing strategy is here to, to interpret the whole table as a single class where uh, all the, the columns can be mapped into properties, um, and each row essentially becomes an instance in your, uh, your ontology. Um, and we have such an import wizard, which is um, shown on the next screen. Um, in this case, I'm, I'm importing uh, an airports spreadsheet, which lists all the airports, I guess, in the United States. And it has seven columns, and uh, you can see that you can preview the columns, and then you can select um, the data type. If there is, for example, the, the weight, uh, column number four, you may want, probably want to convert this into, into a floating point value. So this you can configure, and then the outcome is, uh, as shown on slide 18, is essentially uh, a bunch of instances uh, and a class and uh, their properties. So this is the... Um, quite obvious way of, of, of lifting uh, uh, single spreadsheets up. And um, if you um, regard spreadsheets are essentially building blocks of, of uh, databases, we are, uh, this is the first step in uh, the idea of uh, getting larger databases into, into the tool as well. So on slide 19, I'm, I'm going to start about uh, talking uh, about um, importing relational databases. Um, as we all know and as we all appreciate, uh, most or uh, at least very, very large fractions of enterprise data still resides and will continue to reside in relational databases. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they won't go away. Uh, no matter how successful triple stores and RDF will be one day, there will always be databases, uh, at least until, uh, until as long as we have uh, uh, educated Oracle database administrators that do nothing than, than, than that for their, their living. Uh, so, um, for us uh, as a tool vendor, it's, it's very important to have uh, um, some good support for, for lifting up relational databases. And um, we have, um, for, for that purpose, started with uh, an existing uh, open source tool that some of you may know called D2RQ. It's a very nice open source project from, uh, I think, starting from the University of Berlin. Um, and uh, we have integrated that and slightly extended this and um, built the user interface around it essentially 
uh, as part of our top rate uh, product family. Um, what this uh, relational database importer allows you to, to do is uh, it uh, does a static import of the schema of the database. Uh, essentially, all the tables become classes, and uh, the columns of each table become properties. And then if you, when you have uh, linked tables, so tables that just contain uh, two foreign keys, uh, those tables become object properties. And uh, we are essentially doing this conversion automatically. Um, and once you have converted your, your schema, uh, we are then providing, or DTRQ is then providing a, a dynamic view on, on the actual data. So it's, it's not that you're copying the data over. The data really stays in your database. And then uh, you can browse it, and um, the system on the fly uh, treats the relational data as, as if it were triples. Um, and the idea is similar to the spreadsheet importer. So each row in the database essentially becomes an instance, uh, which then takes values for all, all the columns. On uh, the next few slides, on slide 20 now, I'm uh, going to, to show how, how this works in the tool uh, physically. So this is the, the import uh, screen that we are uh, uh, providing. Essentially, what the user has to specify is uh, the connection metadata, like the URL of the database, and then the username and password, a driver, so the type of database. And we, we support the, the usual uh, databases like MySQL and Oracle and so, and so on. Um, and then you, you just need to press a button, and, and, and uh, you should have, uh, after that, and that is shown on t uh, slide 21, you should have a, a bunch of new files in your, 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 your uh, desktop. And then these files uh, have been automatically generated. And um, there are actually four files that are being created. Uh, the first one is a, uh, an OWL ontology, which uh, contains the, the class description uh, and the properties. So this is a generic schema which um, essentially corresponds to the database tables in the beginning. Um, then it uh, creates a, a placeholder file um, that is essentially representing all the instances, uh, but it's really just a, just a proxy object which just delegates uh, all the, the calls to, to the real database. And then the third one uh, that is being created is a mapping file. And um, the mapping file uh, is in itself an OWL file that uh, describes how, how the mapping um, is performed uh, in, in real time so that uh, when, um, when the DTRQ interpreter goes along, it, it knows how to look up data and how to uh, copy the triples across. And then it also creates a test file which imports uh, all of them so that you can just double-click on, on, on your project. And I'm showing what happens when, after you've imported something on the next screen, 22. Um, this shows a, a top-rate composer screenshot uh, with a large uh, class diagram. Um, I'm on slide 22. I, I, I still don't see. Yeah, thanks. I, I have it now. Uh, so the um, this is showing uh, the outcome of the schema importer and um, roughly looking at, at the classes, you may guess what the underlying tables have been. Uh, in this case, uh, it is really a one-to-one -one mapping of, of the. Uh, the classes uh, to, to the tables in the database. Um, this particular example here has been a um, uh, database about a conference uh, with papers and uh, authors and uh, presentations, etc. Um, as you can see, each table has a number of um, 
uh, or each class has a number of, of data type attributes, and then, then there are links between them, uh, which have been uh, object property links. Um, as you browse through it uh, with TopRate or um, essentially any other DTRQ based tool, uh, you can then see the instances. And I'm on the next slide on 23, I'm uh, showing how uh, that would look like. So you, you, you see the classes on, on the left hand side, and you see the properties on the right. And I have uh, clicked on a particular instance here, um, and uh, I guess it's a particular um, author from, from the conference. And you can see first name, last name. All of that is dynamically generated. And um, as you may guess, you can uh, now that, that it has been tripleized, you can uh, do uh, all kinds of, of uh, things with it. You can uh, run Sparkle queries. You can run inference engines. You can define rules, or you can you can modify the class hierarchy as well. So you could introduce your own super, your, your, your your new mm -hmm. superclasses uh, or subclasses and um, then run a classifier to, for example, uh, separate out a persons by their country of, of origin, etc., uh, etc. Et so once you have lifted it up, you can further process it. Um, and the key on, on, on how this, that is working is shown on the, the next slide. Under the hood, uh, this uh, Detroit Cube bridge is using uh, a mapping ontology. And uh, the mapping ontology um, is shown here in, in this class diagram. Um, I'm not going into details, just very roughly. There is a, um, a, a class called class map, which um, essentially defines how tables uh, are converted into, into classes and their instances. And then there are uh, what they call property bridges, which are um, either object property or data type property bridges uh, that instruct the system on, on how to convert uh, the particular values um, uh, into triples. So that, for example, allows you to convert uh, a string value in your database to an integer uh, in your ontology on the fly. You would essentially need to specify the data type in the uh, data type property bridge. So if you want to, to fine-tune that, uh, this is all possible. You essentially have to modify uh, the um, ontology for that actually does the mapping. All right. So um, on the next slide, I'm um, summarizing the DTRQ import. Um, as I said, it's, um, the main advantage here is that you can just leave your data uh, where, it, where it actually is, and you essentially just get a view on that. And you can fine tune the view. You can change the view uh, by adding class definitions and modifying the class definitions. And then uh, it's up to you what you want to do with the data. And you can bring it together with, with other schemas, so you can uh, for top-rate composer, uh, it doesn't matter whether you have a database backend or a, a file-based backend. Uh, in the end, it's all triples. And as everything is merged dynamically, you can then run uh, queries that, that both hit the database uh, and, uh, for example, an, an OWL ontology that someone else has given you at the same time. Um, not all of these uh, inferences or queries perform equally well, though. So that uh, DTRQ has been optimized for specific patterns of use. So it's, it's quite optimized for running Sparkle queries, at least for, for most of them. But it's uh, not very well optimized for uh, running arbitrary inferences, for example. Um, we are working on, on uh, improvements to that. And uh, we'll hopefully ha have some uh, more performance solution uh, in the future. If performance is an issue, you can, of course, still uh, 
just convert the whole database uh, in, in a batch operation, convert it to triples, uh, write it to, to a native RDF triple store, um, and then um, do whatever you want with, with a more performant backend. All right, so now I'm uh, switching to the topic of XML importing um, on the next slide, on 26. Um, we actually find that uh, XML is uh, most widely used uh, for data exchange between tools and for web services. Um, actually, in the case of NASA, um, I can say that they have uh, very large chains of uh, data processing tools. Uh, these chains uh, essentially capture specific calculations for, for missions and simulations, etc. Uh, the data that comes in and out uh, between all those tools is, is mostly represented in XML. Um, that makes XML uh, a very important format to support. And of course, as we all know, there are many other useful XML-based dialects out there, uh, uh, like uh, for exchanging financial data. And uh, of course, most of the graphical data is also represented in XML. So there's lots of useful information out there for mining. Um, in order to support that, we um, um, have built uh, two different uh, mechanisms for importing XML and for lifting it up into OWL and RDF. Uh, the first one illustrated on, uh, slide, on the next slide uh, requires an XML schema. So if you have an XML schema already, um, you can use TopRate to convert the XML schema to um, an OWL ontology. Um, in a nutshell, it converts each complex type into a class, and uh, each element uh, becomes a, a, a property, and attributes become uh, data type properties. Um, this approach works very well if you have a schema. Um, in many cases, unfortunately, uh, no schema is, is, is really present, because in practice, many people just define XML files ad hoc. Uh, they come up with a de facto s standard uh, syntax that they are ju done, uh, then just um, copying and or uh, modifying slightly. Uh, for those cases, we have created uh, a more generic uh, XML import capability that we call semantic XML, which is described on the next slide. Uh, semantic XML uh, allows you to convert arbitrary XML files to OWL. Um, while this is probably not um, very spectacular in itself, uh, the, uh, the nice idea about semantic XML is that uh, it is reversible. So uh, that you can also uh, go the other way around. You can also take your, your OWL um, and convert it back to XML. Um, the trick that we are employing here, and I'm going to illustrate that uh, in a minute, is uh, that we are um, keeping track of um, the mapping uh, between XML and OWL uh, as part of the ontology. Um, essentially, we are storing annotations uh, in the OWL ontology that we generate. And these annotations can then be used to, um, to write back the XML or to, to keep track of where it came from, actually. Um, I'm, let me show you an example, actually. It's on the next slide. Uh, this is a... Um, random XML file, actually. It's, um, the particular XML file here is uh, the plugin description of, 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 um, of uh, an Eclipse plugin here. It's, it's not, not relevant what it, what it shows exactly, but you, you can see it has a couple of tags. There's a plugin tag, and then you, you see it's an extension, inference engine, 
some of those tags are, are repeated, and they have uh, they mostly have the same attributes. Um, what we're doing with Semantic XML uh, in Top Rate Composer is um, we are uh, mapping each of the element names uh, into a class. So when you run this through the importer, uh, we create classes such as plugin and extension and inference engine, and all the attributes become data type properties. Then we are uh, storing the, the nesting of the XML elements um, uh, in a dedicated object property that we call a composite child. Um, and this essentially uh, represents the, the class or the, 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 uh, the instance hierarchy of the XML elements. You can uh, see that on the next slide, on slide 30. Uh, once you have imported this particular XML file, uh, it shows up like a, an owl ontology in, in, in top rate. So you can see it has now, we now have classes such as extension and inference engine and plugin. Um, and there is, uh, in the middle of the screen, I, I highlighted uh, a particular value of, of the class definition, which uh, is the reverse engineering metadata, essentially. So this uh, element attribute uh, stores the name of the XML element where it came from. And we are doing the same for uh, properties. So whenever uh, we are generating a data type property f uh, from an attribute, we are storing uh, information about the attribute in the XML syntax so that we can keep track of where it came from. And uh, this allows us then to, um, to write back or to um, query the, the XML uh, in, in, in ways that are otherwise not, not, not possible. On slide 31, uh, I'm showing uh, an example instance of the, uh, this particular XML file that we have imported. Um, so this is uh, showing on the, the left-hand side, it's showing the hierarchy of the XML tags, and each of the tags that you see there now is actually an, an, an OWL instance. It's an RDF object or an OWL object, um, which has uh, attribute values for, or data property values for all its attributes. And um, I think the, the root object here, the, the plugin element, is shown on the, the right-hand side of the screen. Um, which actually shows a form with all the properties of this particular instance. So it, it has the RDF type plugin, and it has uh, two children, and one of the children uh, is actually expanded. So you can see the attributes of this particular child. You can see it's uh, it's uh, the second child. It has child index number one, and then it's uh, it has um, a string value for the for the property point extension. So it, it's a it's a very syntactic way of importing XML, but we find actually in practice that this is uh, very appropriate for for many cases because now you can uh, further process the, the the information. You now have it in a in a format that you can talk about and that you can link to. Uh, you could now, for example, run a Sparkle query uh, that finds me all uh, in this case all extension points which, which have a certain string value. And then I could match the same string value with something else that is defined in some other schema or in some other database. And this way I could run uh, cross, uh, cross schema and, and cross uh, files uh, queries that I could not run with uh, conventional technology like XML alone. Um, on the next slide, I'm um, mentioning that uh, in addition to, to the um, default mapping of semantic XML, uh, we are also providing what we call uh, profiles for uh, some dedicated uh, XML uh, languages. 
Uh, in particular, we currently support a profile for HTML and for XML schema. Um, uh, but we are hoping to, to provide more such schema in the future. For example, we want to support SVG and X3D, uh, which are widely used uh, formats for uh, exchanging uh, drawings uh, in the engineering space, for example. Um, so um, on slide 33, on the next slide, I'm uh, illustrating uh, the profile for HTML. And what this does is essentially that it allows you to open any HTML file um, as, as if it were an OWL ontology or an RDF data source, essentially. So you, you, uh, you see the, the particular HTML file that I've opened here in the lower left corner of the screen, the real estate HTML file. Um, you can really just right-click on it and, or double-click on it and, and open it. Uh, and the system creates instances of uh, all those uh, XHTML ontology tags that you see uh, in the tree on the left. And um, I mean, that's, of course, a very syntactic way of importing it. Uh, but again, uh, now at least you have it in a format where you can run Sparkle queries uh, over uh, and then extract data that you uh, may, may want to reuse. So it's a way of, of screen scraping HTML pages. We have uh, defined, uh, that's shown on the next slide, we have defined a similar uh, profile for XML schema um, that essentially allows you to open arbitrary XML schema definitions um, and to get a syntactic mapping of that in, in OWL uh, so that for each complex type definition in the XML schema, you get a complex type instance in this uh, X XML schema ontology. Um, the, the nice thing about this is then uh, you can define your own post-processing steps. So, for example, if you want to convert certain uh, elements into attributes or into data type properties, instead of uh, converting them to, to an object property, you could uh, define your, your own mapping with uh, one of the built-in mapping capabilities that I'm going to talk about uh, later. Yeah, so it's, it's all about lifting uh, the data uh, up into a format that, that, uh, that the semantic web tools can understand, and uh, then it's up to the, to the user to, to further process them. So to summarize um, uh, semantic XML on the next slide, um, it's a way to, to load, query, and generate arbitrary XML files, even if they don't have an XML schema. It's then possible to, to change and fine-tune uh, the uh, resulting class definitions. Um, and this, for example, allows you to introduce new uh, classes or new properties uh, while still keeping track of, of where the data comes from. And, and um, as I said, you can then run inferences or you can run Sparkle queries to modify or to construct new information out of it. All right. Um, to uh, finish the um, importing discussion for now um, on slide 36, uh, I'm enumerating the other import capabilities that we currently support. There will certainly be, be more in the future. Uh, one of them, which I haven't shown, uh, is uh, UML class, class diagram import. So essentially, each class becomes a class in, in OWL and, uh, and so on. So this is all also available. Um, but also, uh, we support uh, direct triple sources, which are all already in triple format. So the usual file formats, RSS, Griddle, RDFA, Sparkle endpoints, 
and RDF databases. And uh, here we uh, support Oracle 11G. We support Jenna database, Allegro Graph, and Sesame currently. We, we hope to have more databases in the future. Uh, essentially, all of these are triple sources, and databases in particular have um, they all have the same interface, basically. So if you have one database, you, you basically support them all quite easily. All right. So now uh, to the next step in uh, our um, scenario, um, data processing. So now we have talked about importing. Now, now we have the data in, a, in, in our format. Uh, it's physically at least represented in, in a uniform language in RDF and in OWL. But now, of course, the challenge is, um, okay, uh, how do I integrate the, the information now uh, so that it makes sense and that I can run queries that, that, that know where to look at uh, correctly? And uh, I'm talking about this just a little bit in this talk here, um, but uh, topics include uh, ontology editing because you may want to uh, create class models around what you, what you, what you are importing. Um, and uh, it also uh, includes mapping uh, with either inference engines like rule engines uh, or uh, by constructing new triples uh, in other ways. And I'm, um, on the next two slides, I'm uh, talking about uh, ontology editing. Um, without going into much detail here, um, Composer is, um, as far as I know, <laughs> Um, at least the, um, the most sophisticated and the most professional editing environment for RDF and OWL currently on the market. Uh, it's not an open source tool, um, and uh, its its strength, though compared to the open source tools, is that it, it is uh, very scalable, uh, both in, term, in terms of uh, the number of uh, triples that you can uh, handle but also uh, in, in terms of number of modules uh, that you can uh, build. And we find it sorry for a serious ontology development to, to split up ontologies into multiple modules. And OWL provides a mechanism for that using uh, the OWL imports uh, that allow you to, to import and bring together schema from multiple sources. Uh, but tool support for that um, has been a bit flaky in the past. So we have improved that, and we are actually using Composer ourselves quite a bit in our own uh, projects. For NASA, for example, we are uh, building ontologies that uh, really consists of, of over, uh, over 100 modules, so really an import tree with uh, 100 imports. Um, uh, another strength of, of this tool is uh, its support for, for refactoring, so you can do things like global renaming across multiple files. Um, and it uh, provides a couple of editing uh, ways. So, so we have form-based and also visual editing. And it's all based on, on Eclipse. It's uh, highly customizable and extensible. Um, and the community is growing. So uh, we have a mailing list actually now. Uh, about 150 people on the list, but we have even more customers actually. Um, a screenshot of Top 8 Composer shown in the next uh, slide. I, um, since this is not the focus of this talk, I'm uh, I'm not going to go into details here. You can download the stuff if you're interested on the web. Uh, it's uh, there's a 30-day 30 30, uh, evaluation uh, copy for download. All right. Um, on slide 40, um, let me touch uh, the topic of uh, transforming data. Um, assuming you have now imported your data from, say, from from a database, uh, and someone else has given you uh, some other ontology that you may want to reuse in order to bring the data together. 
um, there are um, a couple of ways uh, with which you can uh, use the tools to uh, define mappings. Uh, the most native and built-in way of, of mapping uh, ontologies and, and instances in OWL is by, by using what, what the, the language natively provides, which is subclass of and equivalent class relationships, for example. So if, if I have a class person and you have a, you have a class customer in your database, then you may want to do uh, you may want to add a triple to say that the customer is a subclass of uh, person. And then suddenly you can run queries uh, over over either of them, uh, depending on, on which way you're, you're looking at the data. Uh, the inference engine uh, would probably link uh, your data together on the fly. Um, this is uh, especially useful if, if you want to reuse properties that someone else has defined. So we we often find cases uh, where where uh, uh, we have essentially the same data but in two different properties. So what do you do? Do you, do you want to copy all the data over manually, or do you just want to add a sub-property of statement to say that, okay, they, they, these things are actually meant to, to be the same? Uh, so by adding those few triples to the class definitions, you can then uh, run inference engines to actually uh, do the hard work of converting and copying the values uh, for you. Unfortunately, of course, the expressivity of, of those mappings is rather limited. It's um, mostly only limited for, uh, only suitable for trivial cases, where there is more or less a one-to-one -one mapping between uh, classes and properties. Um, if this is not enough, then uh, we are often now using uh, Sparkle, and actually this is illustrated on slide 41. Um, we are using uh, Sparkle really very much uh, for uh, ontology uh, mapping. And uh, on the screen you see an example actually uh, of a project that I'm, of a fun project that I'm working on uh, for uh, internal use actually, uh, because we have a bug tracker system, uh, like some of you may have in a development project. So there's there's a bug tracker called Bugzilla that allows you to keep track of, uh, of uh, bugs in your system. Uh, there are, of course, plenty of bugs in, in our own systems, uh, so we um, have to keep track of all of them. Um, and we want to use our own tools for that, though. Uh, we, are, we are tired of, of using uh, Bugzilla for that. We want to uh, just extract the data that is stored in our Bugzilla database, and we want to copy it over into our own data structure. And this is shown here how, how this is done. Uh, the table on the left is actually extracted using DTRQ, so this is really uh, coming from the database, uh, the physical data, and then we are running a construct query, which uh, takes certain values, certain attributes from uh, the left-hand side. So in this case, we're looking at the profile, uh, and we want to create a user object in our, our target ontology. So what we're doing, we are um, uh, copying the login name and the real name from the left, and we are putting this into uh, the login, uh, the, the email, and the uh, label fields uh, on, uh, on on the left on the right hand side. This is very expressive, actually. Uh, it's of course a bit uh, tricky still to use because you you have to to know uh, Sparkle um, quite a bit to to make best use of that. Um, we are working on, on a graphical edit for, for, for defining those mappings more easily. 
but with a bit of training, it's actually uh, quite workable, and the system at least supports you in keeping track of your mapping rules. You can store the mapping, mapping rules as part of your ontology, and then you can visualize them as, as shown in this diagram. Um, actually, if the expressivity of Sparkle is, is not, not enough for you, or if it's too inconvenient uh, to use, you can also run Sparkle uh, on top of other inference engines, uh, and that, for example, allows you to, to, to use um, say, Palette or any OWL DL description, en uh, um, description logic engine uh, under the hood while you are executing a Sparkle query. And that uh, takes care of things like a transitivity of the subclass of and so on. So this does uh, the logical uh, inferencing for you under the, un uh, on the fly. All right, so this was uh, as much as I wanted to say about um, uh, processing data uh, and uh, fine-tuning, massaging the data. So now I'm on to the next topic on the next slide uh, about exporting. So now we have massaged the data into a format that we want it to be. We want to now um, actually get some information out of it. Uh, tell me what you have learned out of it and so on. So now um, we have a couple of export capabilities supported and um, I'm enumerating here uh, couple of them, and I'm going to show details for each of them, I think, on one slide uh, in the next couple of uh, minutes. Um, let me see, is there anything that I haven't mentioned? Not really. So I'm, I'm, I'm going right into the details, perhaps. Uh, on the next slide, 43, um, we uh, provide mechanisms to uh, convert triples from one format to another. So, uh, for example, when you have uh, loaded your data into a D2RQ database, now you want to save it to a triple store. Uh, you can use uh, this uh, export, merge, convert uh, wizard that is shown here on the screen to uh, write it into some other format to into or into a file or whatever. And you can, on the fly, uh, select which of the, the triple sources you want to merge together. Another way of, of exporting is shown on the next slide. Uh, if you want to show uh, the content of your ontology to your end users, um, you can, um, we have a HTML exporter, and there are similar features actually in, uh, in Protege as well. It's essentially similar to, to Javadoc. Um, it um, creates one HTML page for each instance and class in your model, and it includes automatically uh, a class, small class diagram showing the neighborhood of, of the class definitions, etc. So this is for static browsing of your uh, ontology. Uh, quite useful for some cases. Um, on the next slide, I'm uh, showing an alternative uh, exporting mechanism. Um, instead of static HTML pages that have a predefined uh, layout, you can use uh, this mechanism that we call semantic Java server pages uh, to create arbitrary HTML pages um, and also arbitrary XML files, actually. Um, and the idea is here that you uh, define uh, an HTML page, and into that HTML page you can um, embed a, a nested Sparkle query, and this is shown here in the, in the center of the screen. There's a, a Sparkle select tag in, in this file here, which is then interpreted uh, by the, the Java server page engine uh, to actually run the Sparkle query on the, the uh, selected ontology. Um, and then you can run the query and then, uh, for example, loop over, over all the, the matching uh, result sets from your uh, query. 
and then repeat uh, parts of, of, the, uh, of the, the template. So I'm, this is shown on, the output of that is actually shown on, on 46. Uh, when the, the script is executed, um, the generated HTML page looks like that, and it's, you can guess uh, where this came from. This uh, has essentially for each class in my ontology, it has created one row. Um, in this uh, table here, and it has a bit of formatting information, so it's putting it into a table, etc. This is all HTML templating. The, the main idea is that you have a very convenient way of um, generating arbitrary documents um, from your data in your ontology. Um, and when I say ontology, this, of course, includes anything uh, that has uh, populated your ontology, including your relational databases. Uh, an example in the real world is shown on the next slide. Um, we, are, we are extensively using uh, this uh, server pages approach ourselves uh, for our own deliverables. Uh, since we are doing uh, a lot of ontology development ourselves, uh, and the ontologies already contain most of the relevant stuff, um, we um, have uh, created a couple of converting scripts that uh, take the data from the ontology and, and, in this case, create HTML out of it, and the HTML is then uh, massaged into um, a Word document. Um, and this allows us to use our ontology essentially as a content management system. All right, on the next slide of 48, I'm uh, showing another way of uh, viewing and exploring the data from your ontology. This is well known to all of us. It's uh, Google Maps. Uh, which is uh, part of uh, Top-Rate Composer and, and also the, the other Top-Rate products. Um, it's uh, essentially driven by uh, resources uh, that have geographical markup attached to them. And in the case of, for example, the airport ontology that I've shown earlier, uh, there uh, probably was uh, latitude, longitude, and um, here I'm looking at a real estate ontology where the location of the houses is stored as part of the ontologies. Um, so when, whenever this data is present as part of those standard uh, properties, then they can be displayed on the Google Map, and the Google Map is uh, fully interactive. You can browse it and so on. You can run a Sparkle query and uh, display all the results of the Sparkle query on a Google Map, for example, as well. Um, so similar, on the next slide, uh, we have a calendar feature um, that allows you to, to, to display things that have... Uh, temporal data attached to them. So here we are looking at uh, a couple of auctions uh, in my real estate ontology. Um, it's uh, fairly uh, limited uh, capabilities here. Uh, there's not, not much else you can do with the calendar than just displaying it, of course. So this is what we do. Uh, more interesting and more complicating uh, use cases are uh, shown on slide 50. And this is um, based on... Um, and another product called uh, BERT, uh, Business Intelligence Reporting Tool, which is part of Eclipse. And Top-Rate Composer is uh, integrating with this uh, BERT report generator uh, so that you can uh, generate um, pretty fancy reports such as uh, the one shown on the screen consisting of a pie chart and perhaps a table under it and then uh, some other kinds of, of diagrams as well. All the data that you see here is uh, driven by a Sparkle query, actually, that is defined uh, by the administrator or by the, the user. And you can, uh, in, in this case, it's looking at, uh, it's uh, counting the space, mis space missions uh, per shuttle. 
so it's doing some um, uh, accumulation of data from from the actual uh, data sources, and then it's passing this data uh, in a tabular form uh, to the bird engine, and then uh, it can be uh, modified and fine-tuned uh, for this for nice display. And you can also put those charts on your web page if you want to. Uh, viewing uh, live data from your uh, original data sources. Um, speaking about web pages, um, as the next three slides actually, um, just to um, show that we have more than Top Rate Composer in the offering right now. So this is uh, called Top Rate Ensemble. Uh, it's a web-based uh, tool that um, can be used to to browse and to to edit instances. Uh, that are stored somewhere on your server in, in, in RDF. Uh, in this case here, we are, as you can see, we are looking at a real estate ontology and we're showing a couple of, of views, like forms and, and the map, and you can run queries, etc. So this is a simple way of publishing your data once you've uh, connected it uh, together with uh, Top Rate Composer, perhaps. Um, this allows you to expose your data uh, to, to end users in a fairly easy way without any programming. This is what you essentially get. Uh, Top Ensemble, as shown on the next two slides, uh, also has uh, graphing capabilities. Uh, this uh, familiar example here uh, shows um, the Kennedy family. Um, and um, you can uh, zoom in and out of the graph and, and uh, explore relationships, expand the graph step by step. Um, and you can also, uh, for example, find the shortest path between uh, any any type of node in your model. So in this case, if, if we want to find the shortest path between John Kennedy and Arnold Schwarzenegger to find out how, how are those guys related, uh, you can run this uh, button and on the next slide, the result would, would uh, show you that, okay, there's uh, some relationship uh, through uh, Arnold's wife uh, and her parents. So um, this just as an aside to, to show that we have uh, other tools here, and that's um, it's actually um, we get lots of requests for, for, for this kind of capabilities because we, we find that uh, building ontologies is, is, is fun and nice, but in the end you want to have something that you can show to your management to demonstrate that uh, this whole semantic technology actually has a benefit, and uh, this is where... Uh, in many cases, uh, a web front end such as this uh, helps tremendously. All right, I'm uh, reaching the end or the very last section of my talk, and uh, on the uh, next slide on 54, I'm uh, back to the structure. Uh, I started um, with uh, uh, roughly um, categorizing the information integration tasks into uh, three uh, steps, importing, processing, and exporting. Um, we have um, a family of, of um, tools or uh, capability here called Sparkle Motion, which we'll talk about Sparkle Motion in, in the next few slides. Um, on 55, I'm um, giving an overview of what Sparkle Motion is. Uh, it's a visual scripting language uh, for semantic web technology and uh, it covers importing, processing, and exporting, uh, and it's speci specifically suitable for use cases that are repeatable. So whenever you have to, to do some importing and converting and then exporting um, many times, and you don't want to repeat this manually, uh, uh, 
or you want to, to give this as a procedure to someone, then you can write a Sparkle Motion script that uh, can then be executed automatically. Sparkle Motion itself is uh, defined in OWL, so it's um, kind of a recursive use of the language. Um, essentially, the, the Sparkle Motion language um, consists of, of a couple of classes, of OWL classes, and um, then you in order to write a Sparkle Motion script, you essentially create instances of those classes, and you can use any OWL editing tool for that purpose. In the next screen, 56, I'm showing an example. That's probably the best way to, to see what this does. Um, you see the, the script itself um, is shown graphically in the middle of the screen. This particular uh, script consists of three steps, and you essentially start at the top and uh, Data is uh, flowing from top to bottom. And uh, this particular script um, first loads uh, a certain block, uh, in this case my, my, my own block. Um, then it's running a filter over the data, running uh, a, a Sparkle query, actually, to, 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 to delete certain triples that are not interesting to us. Uh, and then in the end, it creates a spreadsheet as output. Um, you can see the details of, of one step here on the right-hand side, and uh, actually in, in Torpate Composer you can see those things side by side, so you can um, edit the script graphically and then you click on one node to, to essentially fill in the details of it. Uh, you see that, this, that the filter steps uh, is driven by a Sparkle query that uh, um, only uh, delivers those um, uh, Articles from my blog that contain the word top right, for example. Yeah, um, on the next slide, I'm giving some background on how this works. Um, so each script consists of modules. Um, the modules themselves uh, have a, a certain type. So, for example, there are modules for uh, to run uh, an inference engine and to load a file and to create a spreadsheet. All these are different modules that we provide. And the output of one module is the input to, to the next modules in, in the flow, and you can uh, also uh, branch and, and merge uh, scripts. So you can uh, essentially have uh, you can use constructs like if if then else and and while as well using this this language. On the next slide, I'm um, giving a rough overview of the type of modules that we currently support, and this actually uh, covers. Um, uh, much of, of what I have uh, shown in, in, in the rest of the, the presentation. So uh, we have uh, input, input, output, and, and processing uh, modules. Uh, input modules uh, that take some something, some legacy format, and convert it to XML or to RDF. Uh, also, user input is supported, so you can have interactive scripts. Uh, then the various processing steps and outputs. Um, I have. I guess a couple of slides later that show the details or it gives a couple of examples of what you can do with this language. So let's not waste time and go to uh, slide 59. Um, the um, Sparkle Motion module library uh, itself, this shows an, an, uh, uh, an excerpt of, of the module library that we currently have. So this shows uh, the modules that take user input. So there is, for example, uh, a user input module that uh, asks the user to enter a literal value, a string or an integer. Um, there is also uh, a module to, to select a resource from a dialog or to select uh, an instance uh, from a class tree. 
Um, and all of those modules are represented in OWL so that the, uh, the user can uh, uh, select them as instances in the ontology. Uh, but they are also backed on, on server-side um, uh, Java implementations, which actually uh, do the, the actual work, of course. Yeah. So uh, all of that is um, extensible, so you can add your own module types uh, by just defining an OWL class and then plugging in a Java implementation into uh, the plugin architecture. All right, let's uh, very quickly, uh, uh, on the next few slides, and on, on 60, uh, just to, to mention a couple of things that you can do with Sparkle Motion here. So there are capabilities to load uh, spreadsheets, uh, to load uh, databases, um, and to uh, load files from various places. So this also includes, for example, the uh, uh, Excel instance loader that I've shown earlier. Uh, the next slide, um, there are a couple of um, RDF to RDF modules. So you can do uh, things like running an inference engine. So this essentially takes the input of the, of the node and then uh, runs inferences and then passes uh, the inferred triples plus the asserted triples down to the next node in, in, in the flow. And uh, we support a couple of, of inference engines. We, in practice, find OWL-IM a very suitable option, actually. Um, Pellet is often quite slow, depending on the type of your ontology. Uh, in other cases, you may want to have rules. Uh, we also support that, including Swirl. Um, and you can run uh, Sparkle queries also as, as a rule engine. On slide uh, 62, uh, this is showing a couple of output modules. And um, this essentially covers what I have mentioned under uh, the export section of my talk. So uh, you can create scripts that automatically, for example, create uh, a Google map in the end or that gener automatically generate a Java server page or a calendar and anything that you see here on the screen. And finally, uh, there are, there's also some support for XML. Um, so that using the semantic XML bridge, uh, you can also uh, process your XML data and convert it to, to uh, OWL and, and also vice versa. So uh, quite a lot of things you can do, and it's open and it's growing. So um, this is certainly an interesting um, technology for us, at least. Um, I'm showing on 64, I'm, I'm showing a final example. Um, this is a, a more complicating use case of, of Sparkle Motion. Um, this is a script that um, uh, essentially first starts by, by uh, loading some ontology, and then it's um, uh, asking the user to select uh, an instance from that ontology. In this case, it's asking the user to, to enter a city. Then it's uh, getting uh, latitude, longitude values for that. Uh, it's sending those to a web service called GeoNames. So based on the query of latitude, longitude values, it's uh, getting some XML result back from the, from the web service. That uh, XML is then converted to RDF. Uh, it's massaged a little bit, so some strings uh, are replaced to be more RDF-friendly. Um, and then finally, uh, in the end, it, it, it runs a loop. Uh, it, it runs a couple of Sparkle queries, actually, in a loop. For each of the results from the GeoNames web service, it's calling um, uh, DBpedia, so uh, the Wikipedia RDF version that is online. And in the end, uh, based on all the results of DBpedia, it's uh, displaying uh, the matching schools in this uh, city uh, on the map. 
So essentially, this is uh, a script that does a mashup of um, GeoNames and uh, DBpedia um, using uh, semantic technology. All right, to summarize Sparkle Motion, and this is the first and the last but one slide, uh, 65. Um, the use cases of, of Sparkle Motion are, are anything that, uh, that needs to be repeated often and that can be formalized sufficiently. Uh, example tasks are uh, like uh, converting files to databases or to bring together multiple sources like RSS feeds and to create spreadsheets, uh, batches of them, and create charts. And um, you can also use it to, to just run some uh, background checks in, uh, from time to time. So you can install that on your server to, to from time to time check whether a certain RSS feed contains some relevant information that you may want to present. Um, you can use Sparkle Motion to uh, create uh, XML output, and this can then be used for uh, as input for other tools. You can generate web pages using Sparkle Motion uh, with the uh, semantic server pages, etc., that I've shown. Um, or you can run it. You can run inferences peri periodically uh, to uh, to do some other background tasks. All right, so I've, I've shown quite a bit of things in this talk. Uh, this is my last slide here, and I'm number 66. Uh, to summarize, what I've um, tried to say is uh, that uh, semantic web languages are a very attractive foundation for data integration tasks, and I've um, mentioned a couple of reasons, such as uh, the open architecture and the ability to link anything to anything else, and um, the uh, advantage that OWL itself can be used to describe classes and that tools uh, such as Toprate can then use uh, the class definitions to automatically discover the structure of your data um, without you having to hard code anything. So that's, I think, a very convenient aspect of semantic technology in general. And the uh, Toprate suite um, product family is um, a comprehensive solution that covers all those aspects. Um, starting from import to processing, ranging to export. All right, I thank you very much for your attention so far, and I'm uh, ready for questions. Okay. Uh, thank you very much for that talk. I, I must say, just as a, as a personal comment, that's one of the few times I've seen uh, mapping issues not ducked and made uh, simpler than they really are. So congratulations on that. Um, Peter, would you like to uh, take us through the process for how people can indicate they have a question? Sure. Uh, let me repeat again. If you uh, have a question or want to make a remark, uh, please press 1-1 one, one on your keypad, and that raises the hand I mean, on our dashboard. And... Uh, we will take people uh, one at a time. Uh, we'll, we can recognize you probably from your area code, uh, phone number, and if you came in uh, on Skype, then we have your Skype user ID. And when you're recognized, uh, please press the star three to unmute uh, the test to make sure we can hear you, and then start by identifying yourself and uh, and start uh, making your remark or asking a question. So far, as you can see on the shared screen, uh, I've got one hand uh, from someone 
from the 908 area code. Uh, you probably know who you are. Uh, and now I have another one from 613 and so on. And uh, let's maybe start with the person from uh, area code 908. Hi, uh, this is Pat Cassidy. Um, yes, if, if, could you speak up, please? We can hear you, yes. Okay, this is Pat Cassidy. Uh, a couple of questions. First, uh, very impressive, and I'm really curious, uh, how many developers do you have working in Top Quadrant to develop these products? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to, to expose that. Um, okay. But, uh, <laughs> well, if you can't, if, you, if you're not sure, then don't. It's probably less than you think, um, but more, more than one. <laughs> so, so it's uh, we have uh, about five developers uh, basically uh, full time. But uh, as we are growing, um, it's one of the challenges that we face as a um, semantic technology company is actually to find enough people that can do the work and that have qualifications uh, so that they don't have to start at zero. So that is a bit of a difficult. Uh, growth path for us, but we are expanding and we are still hiring and we're trying to, to grow further. Yeah. Uh, then uh, more technical, uh, in, in when you do imports of uh, databases or uh, Excel spreadsheets and you want to relate one to another, do you make the assumption that a table, that a, a column name in one table, if it's the same as a column name in the other table, actually expresses the same relationship or uh, if, if they don't, I guess, which is probably more reasonable not to make that assumption, then is there any method you can use for relating them to each other? Yeah, um, so this is essentially an ontology mapping question as far as right. I understand. So uh, the, the answer, of course, is uh, it depends. Uh, in uh, many cases, the mapping may be easy, and in, in those simple cases, you, you would uh, probably uh, just make them sub-properties of each other. And then when you query the one model, then you would automatically also get all the other values. Um, if that is not enough, uh, you may want to use something like Sparkle Construct to actually copy values over or to define rules. Okay. Um, well, when that, you say sub-properties uh, um, yeah, I mean, I just let me ask, uh, clarify. When you say sub-properties of each other, you mean if you have uh, relation A and relation B, then you specify A is sub-property of B and B is sub-property of A? Uh, Subproperty of just means one direction. So, but, but there's uh, owl equivalent property, uh, which you could use to to really make them really uh, totally equivalent. Then it would go in both directions. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, the next in line, it's uh, this person from six one three. I notice you've already unmuted your line, uh, so please go ahead. Uh, yes, hi, uh, this is Adrian Walker from Reengineering. Um, congratulations, fantastic presentation, Holger. Um, I, I just have a, a really sort of trivial uh, technical question, please. Uh, ca can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you. Thank you. Um, the question is, um, as one looks around the Sparkle and, and the W3C working papers on Sparkle, um, it, it has some shortcomings at present, and uh, one of them is no negation, which you can sort of get around, and another one is uh, no aggregation, no count, no sum, and so on. Um, so sort of question A is how do you get around that, and question B is which Sparkle implementation do you actually use? 
Yeah, very good question, very good comment. Uh, it's well known that Sparkle really is uh, not the end of the story, and there will certainly be, uh, I, I, I strongly assume there will be future iterations of Sparkle that will address some of those shortcomings. Uh, we are using the Jenna uh, Sparkle engine, ARQ, and uh, this includes uh, aggregation functions such as count, and uh, the the nice thing, so uh, these are also exposed through Topic Compose, actually, so you can already use them. Um, the, the nice thing about um, this particular Sparkle implementation, Jenna, uh, that we're using, uh, is that it's also very open. So you can, for example, add your own uh, property functions, uh, and these uh, would essentially be backed by, by Java classes, and you can do whatever you want in those Java classes. So uh, before Jenna actually came up with its own count implementation, we just added our own because we needed it ourselves very often. Um, okay. So there's always this escaping mechanism of, of uh, talking to Java while a query is executing. Just, uh, that, that's great. Uh, quick follow-up. Jenna, J-E-N-A? Uh, yeah, it's Jenna, yeah, J-E-N-A, yeah. Okay, okay. It's from HP Lab, um, one of the leading open source APIs for semantic web. Okay, okay, thank you. Right. Uh, next in line, I believe the person from 415. If you would unmute your line uh, with the star three and test your voice first. Person from 415. Hi, can uh, folks hear me? Yes. Go ahead, please. Hi, uh, my name is my name is Paul Tazbaz. I work in uh, Wells Fargo. Um, this is a great introduction for me because I'm new to semantic web technology, but I had a general question. Um, is unstructured data in scope within this technology, things like Word documents, PowerPoints, and even some of the emerging schemas like the open document format? Um, yeah, in a sense it is. So there are some text mining tools out there, and then some of them are actually uh, uh, good. Um, you can uh, uh, probably find some of them on the web. I, I don't want to mention some of them because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not able to really say which ones of them are, are, are actually uh, doing what they are supposed to do. So how good they are, I, I, I can't say. But, but uh, text mining tools exist, and some of them actually are backed by domain uh, ontologies so that, for example, there's one tool uh, that would uh, automatically classify uh, persons such as um, John F. Kennedy or something, that they would detect those patterns and then create an instance of the person class uh, automatically whenever they are mentioned in text. So, so this is what, what those tools are supposed to do. But uh, in general, of course, uh, semantic technology, uh, uh, the strength of, of this is when you really have uh, numbers and, and precise data, or at least uh, that you can uh, specify rules to extract those data. And I, I had shown uh, one example of, of getting data out of Excel spreadsheets. This is just one example. You could do the same with uh, PowerPoints, for example. PowerPoint now also is, uh, has an XML output format. So you could load this XML, these PowerPoint XML files, um, run a Sparkle query to extract uh, the parts of the, the presentations that you like by their relative position. For example, you could say, find me uh, slide number 66 and get the headline of that you will find summary or something, um, and uh, then you can uh, run either text mining or you can run things like WordNet. Uh, there's, a, there's a WordNet ontology out there that uh, uh, contains all of the English terms, of the English language at least, um, and 
uh, also contains their synonyms. So that allows you to, to say that, uh, um, you know, um, to, 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 uh, if, 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 if the spelling is slightly different in, in one term, then you could at least uh, guess what, what, it, what it would be using one of those ontologies and then map them together into a standard ontology from there. Not sure if that is any of that uh, is any of that capability in your product roadmap? Uh, yeah, we have many requests actually for text mining. As I said, uh, we uh, don't uh, implement text mining uh, stuff ourselves. That's a bit beyond our possibilities right now as a small company. Uh, but we are uh, hoping to integrate those uh, very shortly, and we have been in contact with a couple of uh, text mining vendors to have those import capabilities. Uh, built in, but on the other hand side, uh, you could just use those uh, import uh, programs standalone. So one of them directly has, has, an, has an RDF output, so you could just run it on their tool, then take the, the RDF output and uh, feed it into our, in, into TopRate, and then uh, do whatever you want from there. Great, thank you. Okay, next in line is uh, the person from area code two one two o two. Uh, Susan, Susan Turnbull, can you hear me? Yes, yes. please go ahead. Uh, yes. uh, excellent talk. Thank you. Um, I was keying off your uh, example of the lossless round trip, XML, RDF, and back, and was wondering if another part of NASA or a NASA partner was not using Sparkle Motion but was at a similar level of maturity in the, the, the two teams, you know, were, were talking with one another, what would be the sort of percentage of um, level of effort, uh, rework, interpolation necessary for those um, two sets of uh, data to be integrated? So I guess it's a question about losslessness with regard to your great tool set and what might be um, competitor tools. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh Fortunately, uh, OWL and RDF have been standardized very, very early so that uh, all the tools that you find out there, or at least most of them, are really uh, very compatible to each other. So you could, okay. I can, um, um, without any hesitation, uh, say that uh, in at least 99% of the cases, you should be able to take your protege ontology and uh, load it into, uh, say, Swoop, and from Swoop to TopRate and vice versa. So all those tools uh, syntactically uh, would allow you to, to share the data. Um, if you're talking about XML import, uh, this is currently a native capability of, of TopRate, uh, but the output of that is also uh, just an OWL ontology in the end. Mm -hmm. um, we are putting some annotations into the OWL ontology, uh, which are then interpreted by our tool, but other tools can simply ignore those annotations because they probably don't need them anyway. So if you don't want to do round-tripping of the data, and also since it's open, uh, you have the ontology, you can... Uh, tell your programmers to, to just write your own uh, a semantic XML mapper. Uh, the algorithm is, is fairly simple, actually, uh, to, uh, to do something similar on your side of the, of the, of the pipeline. Uh, so if you want to take the semantic XML files, uh, you're not, not, not limited to, to, to doing that with top rate, really. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Okay. Uh, last chance for people to uh, uh, 
press the one one and ask questions. Uh, Peter Yim here. I actually have one myself uh, for Holger. Uh, Holger, you mentioned you talked about uh, scalability. Uh, could you tell us, let's say, uh, the maximum number of uh, triples uh, tested in with your tools, uh, or I mean, the uh, maximum number uh, in production uh, with your tools? Yeah, uh, so these numbers are uh, actually uh, essentially the same uh, like those published by the database vendors because um, we are um, connecting to uh, to the databases like Oracle 11, Allegro Graph, Jenna, and Sesame right now. And those databases are, uh, the, are primarily, primarily responsible for the performance of, of, your, uh, uh, of the database backends because this is yeah, we are just linking to it. Um, having said that, there are, um, I think right now Allegro Graph is one of the, the, the largest ones or the, the one that can probably handle most of the, um, the data. Uh, I think they go up to 10 billion triples right now. Um, but these may be extreme cases that we have not tested these high numbers yet. And it's also uncertain how, how um, a tool like Composer would, would behave in such cases because you probably would run into cases where uh, quite a lot of data has to be loaded in order to, to for example, explore a graph and so on. Um, it was a deployment, uh, this um, should, should not be a, a big deal uh, because in, in deployment in a web application you would primarily perhaps run Sparkle queries over it and all those databases are optimized for handling Sparkle queries. Um, so these are about the numbers. Uh, with other databases you may get lower numbers uh, um, but in the in the tens of millions, uh, normally all of the databases that I've mentioned uh, have no problems. Ten, tens of millions of triples. Thank you, Olga. Right, uh, one last uh, chance for people to ask questions. Uh, not uh, let's turn this back to uh, Matthew. Okay. Well. Uh Thank you once again, then, Holger, for that really excellent talk. I, I, I was just recalling that, that when, I, uh, uh, when I listened to talks about tools, I, I turned my bullshit meter on, and it didn't even flicker today. So congratulations. Um, if we uh, round up, then, um, I was just going to say a couple of... Uh, on to slide four, please, Peter. Um, I was just going to say a few things just to round up the ontology and databases series. I'll only be a moment or two, I promise. Um, when we set out, this, this was the picture that we uh, uh, used to describe the area, the, the space that we were interested in. Um, and I'm really very pleased at how much of this uh, we've actually covered. Actually, if you look, we've covered nearly all of it just today, uh, in fact. Um, uh, everything from sort of the web front end through to databases, data integration, obviously ontology tools. Um, uh, well, not perhaps so much about uh, ontology theory, but the ontologies are in there. Languages and, and, of course, looking at the information requirements. So nearly everything in one today. Um, and uh, if we move on to slide five, uh, we can see here the the, uh, the list of talks. And, and I have to say I'm... I'm absolutely delighted at the stellar cast that we've managed to attract uh, to give presentations here. 
um, a, a significant number of highlights, in, in fact, um, really all hits. Um, very high quality sessions, and I'd like to give my thanks to all of those speakers, whether they're here or not, um, and, uh, and also to all of you who have been participating in the, uh, in the sessions, and especially those that have asked questions and contributed to the discussion. Uh, so next slide. Is there is one? Yes. Yes, and, and there we go. And finally, of course, Peter for making it all possible. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Okay. Uh, as I mentioned before, the, the session is being recorded. Uh, telephone playback uh, should be available in uh, a couple of minutes. And the MP3 download as well as the podcast uh, probably within the day of this session. Bye, everyone. Goodbye.